Welcome to The Common Share, a podcast about the opportunities and challenges of developing cooperative businesses. The Common Share is produced by Cooperatives First, a business development firm increasing awareness and understanding of the cooperative business model and supporting co-op business development in rural and Indigenous communities across Western Canada. For a backgrounder on co-ops and a better way to do business, visit our website, cooperativesfirst.com. The site has a lot of great business development tools and resources for groups forming new ventures. I'm Asa Marshall, and I'm joined today by my colleagues Kyle White and Audra Kruger. In this episode, we're going to discuss working boards versus policy boards. So I might start out here with a, a rather controversial question to pose to the two of you. Why do working boards suck? <laughs> Never um. said that. <laughs> They're awesome. So yeah, I, I would say a lot of people, especially if you've ever been on a working board, from time to time, you've probably said, God, working boards suck. This is not fun. And it's taxing, you know. Maybe to give, I guess, folks a quick overview of what a working board is, a working board is largely a situation where most of the work done in an organization is led by the board of directors. Usually it happens in the absence of a general manager or an executive director, and it's usually in contrast to a policy board where there is a management structure, a senior manager who oversees the operations and the board then provides advice on policy and direction and strategy. I've actually never been on a, a policy board, so I can't comment on those too much. You dream of one day. I, I definitely, I definitely dream of that for sure. <laughs> and um, I, I wonder how easy life would be mm-hmm. in a policy board. But you know, working boards—they can be time-consuming, mm-hmm. very stressful, and more often than not, I would say, uh, working boards are completely volunteer-based. So even though you're spending this time contributing to an organization, it's most normally unpaid. Mm-hmm. The one uh, experience I have, well, I have a couple of different experiences, always with working boards, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> um, however, I say that, but then I do recognize the fact that, you know, depending on the personality and, and what the organization is attempting to achieve, um, it is incredibly satisfying to, you know, roll up your sleeves and work with a group of people towards, you know, a common goal. Mm-hmm. And usually the common goal is loosely around, um, you know, making the world a better place. It's like incredibly fulfilling and invigorating to uh, be a part of such a group. But then it is, as you mentioned, Kyle, a, a kind of a shitty thing sometimes. Um, my, my story is, you know, a few years ago I was involved in setting up and developing a organization locally, a transportation organization. And, you know, one of the things that I found myself doing at 7 o'clock at night with my husband and kids in the, in the car because we were on our way to go skating and have some family time, but I had to start the car, right? So that was part of this transportation uh, organization, and it wouldn't start. And I tried to start, and it wouldn't start, and then we tried to boost, and it wouldn't boost, and whatever. Anyway, two hours later, did not go skating, um, and I was wondering, why the hell am I starting this car? Where's our employee? Um, why am I the only one out here? And uh, there's my poor family, right? <laughs> so, you know, when you take on that kind of... Uh, responsibility and that obligation as part of a working board. It's sort of the good and the bad. You get to build something cool and put your stamp on it and become associated with it. And um, because of your labor and um, your commitment, you created something that could last 100 years and that could benefit hundreds of people. But it's um, trying to remember that when it's minus 30 and you're starting the car. (laughs) 
<laughs> and feeling like a terrible mother and wife, um, that's very challenging to do. So, you know, that's, it's definitely not for everyone. You know, so we don't want to, don't go on a working board. We don't want to say that is what we're trying to say. But uh, eyes wide open. If, um, if you get tapped um, to be on a working board, find out as much as you can. Um, it, it should be up to the people tapping you to, to tell you those things. But, you know, sometimes they're too busy and they don't think of it. So you've got to ask a lot of questions. Um, where are they at? What's the financial situation of the organization? Because that's the other thing I found when I've gotten involved in working boards is, oh, you know, you would be great for this board. You're, you know, you're smart. Why don't you be on this board? Well, what they don't say is actually this, this organization is in financial crisis. So come on, come help us out. Oh, and by the way, you have none of the skills that this board needs, but you're just someone who's going to get sucked into this. And so that happens sometimes too. Um, you know, hopefully it's, it's starting to uh, not happen as much as it has, but it's sort of a, a symptom of the, the volunteerism, I think, and, and how that can unfold. I certainly have some experience kind of echoing what Audra has said, being involved in a very small organization where the board was basically the, the entire organization. Um, and it was a small group of really dedicated young people who wanted to revitalize kind of a cultural hub for a small community. And so the, the result of, of that working board was an amazing facility, which um, today is attracting a lot of uh, big-name talent and a lot of even open mic nights and fostering young, you know, artistic talent in that community. But when I joined, I can certainly echo a lot of that. It, it, it um, sort of takes over your life for a while because everything is on you. Um, all of the decisions you make have a really big impact um, on the direction of that organization. So it, it can feel like a lot of pressure and can be quite stressful. But then equally, the reward um, when you see it succeed at the end is, is definitely worth it. Well, I would say that's not necessarily a bad thing from the, at all for worker co-ops or small cooperatives made up of entrepreneurs that are really passionate about an idea and are really jazzed to get their business going. A working board is, is you know, completely fine. Most, I think most worker co-ops definitely fall into worker working board category, as with many producer co-ops, and they're usually fine with that. I mean, most entrepreneurs that I know you know, they, they're obsessed with their businesses. Um, they live it, they breathe it, they think about it nonstop. So being on a board, talking about issues and strategy and direction, and then going away and talking about the operations and money and sales, I think that's the dream for, for most people involved in worker co-ops. Mm-hmm. So on the other side of that, we, we've made policy boards sound uh, like the uh, utopia. Um, but w- what are some of the things you think that, that might go wrong with a, with a policy board or some of the challenges they might face? They're boring. They're very boring. <laughs> yeah, where, where's the challenge in that? You know, at it, it, they may be a bit more subtle, I think. Policy boards might not take over your life, but they can definitely create either stressful or um, difficult situations. And the f- obvious one that comes to mind is if you des- devolve into a rubber stamp board. Mm-hmm. And that's basically a situation when, you know, the senior management of an organization basically controls those decisions and things that need to be taken to the board simply go for approval. I think it's not uncommon to have policy boards that simply nod and say yes mm-hmm. and sign off on whatever the management promote 
or, or put forward. But if, if the organization is trucking along and, you know, meeting its mission and vision and, and things are, you know, generally good, is, there, is that a bad thing? It's hard to say, right? Because I've got one in my head that it's very much it's a large organization. It, uh, the executive and management are are very good at making sure that things are tidy and clean before they get to the board. And so they're preparing the way for the rubber stamp. But a, a heck of a lot of work goes into getting it there. And they've been functioning like that for, oh, I don't know, 20 years. Um, and it just seems the way the way it is. Um, I think they're a very well-run, highly regarded organization, so it works for them. So, I mean, that's a good case. But, you know, boards are in place to represent the interests of its members. And if they fail to do that, then you do have issues that can emerge. Um, so boards, you know, regardless of how on side with management they are, they nevertheless need to be asking questions, need to be asking, you know, is this the best decision we can be making? Is it the best use of resources? How would members feel about this? Are we? Is there maybe a better way of doing things? And I think this needs to be done in all decisions. Having that board screen major decisions, major directions of the co-op or the organization would probably never lead to a bad thing. Good decisions, you know, take time. Supporting management in that way is always a good thing. But again, ensuring that there's accountability, um, ensuring that members' interests are being considered along the way, you know, is really important mm-hmm. for good governance. Mm-hmm. So is there many cases where a working board might transition into becoming a policy board? So I was involved with something similar to this, almost. So a little bit of context. It is a, a volunteer working board uh, for an organization that does work in the housing area, and it's a very stressful job. If you're a board member and, you know, you get calls at two or three in the night um, to come and repair something or come and respond to some sort of incident, that can be very taxing, and it's very difficult to recruit board members into that environment sometimes. On the flip side, it is very rewarding, and being part of that can be, you know, uh, give you a really good gratifying uh, feeling. But we did want to maybe look at other ways of how we can serve the organization and other arrangements. So maybe bringing on additional staff members that can take over some of the accounting duties or take over some of the organization client relationship duties. And in that case, there was actually a lot of pushback. So while we thought that maybe devolving some of those duties to a paid individual would be a good thing and would alleviate some of the stress and the burden at the board level, a lot of people actually viewed it as a deviation from the mandate of the organization and a completely different direction than they were comfortable in taking at the organizational level. So there was pushback from some board members, there was pushback from uh, members and past board members, and ultimately... It was a route that we didn't go in. I can't imagine that. I know the, that uh, uh, transportation co-op I was involved in, it's our, all of our actions were um, driven towards the, the dream of having a part-time coordinator. 
involved who could take that uh, that day-to-day stuff off of our plates as a working board Mm -hmm. and it actually was it was hard for I mean there was an interesting group of people around the board table um, and some of them had a theoretical understanding of the world (laughs) may I say that Um, and so you know they had a really hard time understanding well we need a revenue stream and these kinds of things you know, they were in sort of the grant writing world. Well, can we get, you know, hire someone with a grant and can we do, you know, this, that or the other thing. But anyway, that was the ultimate goal was trying to get somebody employed um, to take the heavy lifting off of our plate. So so that example just seems so um, foreign to me. But I guess people are people are people, they're humans. And so they have uh, complex motivations. And so that innate human desire to contribute to work together perhaps was uh, stronger than the I want to stay at home on Friday night and watch a movie, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. not do anything. So when you don't transition to, you know, having a staff member or part-time staff member even, it, it's an ideal situation that all board members are contributing equally in that situation to kind of spread around the risk and spread around the stress. But more often than not, we, that just doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Probably nine times out of ten, all those responsibilities end up falling back to one, two, maybe three individuals um, that are really leading the charge. So in our particular case, we do have people that do step up to the plate for specific tasks. Um, so one individual leading the um, maintenance of the organization, one individual leading the administrative bookkeeping and staff management. And, I mean, that can be taxing. That's Mm -hmm. time you're not spending in the rest of your life. But at the end of the day, if people are wanting to put themselves in that situation and they feel a personal benefit for that, then, you know, more power to you. So I was going to introduce a kind of an economic concept, and I'm wondering, Kyle, if you could explain what the free rider problem is and and maybe elaborate more on what you were saying on how that can be an issue. So I absolutely love economics. Um, darned if I can remember the actual definition that I got in Economics 805 with Murray Fulton. But basically a free rider problem is when an individual or individuals receive the benefit from a good or a process without putting in any of the work or contributing to the costs. So, for example, I think almost every board has to have at least one free rider, that individual that will nod, say yes, go with the flow of the organization um, without necessarily contributing in a meaningful way. And oftentimes you need them. Oftentimes you need people around the board table to keep the paper down and keep gravity in check. But um, I think it's an issue all boards deal with, but it's also often a product of how you set up your board governance. So managing the expectations of oncoming directors and having good training, good resources, so that directors can be the best that they can be, is a way of combating that. So in the in the context of, I guess, both working and policy boards, can either one of you talk about the importance of committees uh, and how they can be used effectively? So well, in all cases, it's, it's always good to have committees in organizations if they're necessary. In working boards, it's a really effective way to divvy up some of those tangible tasks so, for example, in our, our housing organization, um, in all housing organizations that I've been involved with, I guess, there's always a committee that does handle the finances. So they're responsible for, you know, working with the auditor to do the annual review, um, preparing a budget, seeing that people get paid appropriately. 
There's another committee that works on specifically the maintenance, and that may be actually doing some of the replacements of stuff yourself. I'm clearly not on that. Uh, doing those replacements and that work yourself, or arranging with contractors and service providers to do that. But it's a great way of divvying up tasks. For policy boards, where you're more focused on strategy and direction, um, I think committees usually serve as a vehicle to really study things. So, for example, some of the bigger co-ops I'm aware of um, often have sustainability committees that take a look at the organization's operations. They work with key staff members and key departments and really try to figure out and drill down what are we as an organization doing to be sustainable and what can we do better? What's realistic? It's also, I might add, you have a smart chair and maybe there's some stress happening on the board or with the, the operations of, of the organization and things aren't looking good and you've got potentially a holdout or someone who's on the board and is maybe not seeing it the same way as everybody else is or they're, you know, they have a different version of reality. Um, one of the things that I saw happen was that we um, tasked a committee to look at a very specific challenge of the organization. Mm -hmm. And in looking at that, they actually finally came, like saw the light and for the first time maybe saw what was inevitable in terms of the organization's future. And just giving them that very um, focused task of getting to the bottom of whatever issue um, allowed us to actually move forward as a group. And, um, you know, I don't know if that was a purposeful thing that happened or if it was just, uh, you know, a happy coincidence, but it really resulted in us as a board being able to move forward and make some hard decisions based on fact and then also like requiring the, the, the committee to really explain themselves when they've gone off and put together some research to like pit in and be, be able to discuss that uh, piece of research uh, to the whole board. Um, you kind of put them on the spot, so to speak. And so some of the assumptions that they've made um, and biases that they held are debunked. It worked great in that particular case. I think committees really need to have um, good representation as well. So a lot of the committees I've served on in the past have been comprised only of board members, which can be unfortunate because even though you are dedicating time and resources and people power to the specific issue, you're probably just recycling ideas. I always think it's, it's hugely beneficial for committees to get formed with staff members being on there, um, with regular ordinary members being involved, um, and even if necessary, an expert in the field. Mm -hmm. um, it really diversifies that opinion. Mm -hmm. Or advisory groups. One of the things mm. that um, we're working on is the creation of an advisory group. And what we've been told is that the best way to utilize this committee of folks who aren't necessarily on the board, some may be, some might not, they might be outside of that group. So it allows you to widen, as you say, and diversify your perspectives that are going to be contributing. But it also is important to clearly define what um, that advisory committee's role is and how they are going to contribute and make it, instead of, you know, on this high-level issue, make it very specific so that their feedback, so you're respectful of their time um, and that they contribute in a very focused way rather than sort of these overarching loosey-goosey kind of things to have it very focused. 
Kyle, I know you are a big personal fan of things like bylaws uh, and all those really fun documents that go into making up board strategies and, and direction. Um, what's the importance of having really solid policy documents that guide a board and an organization? You know, there's a couple things I think to really consider there. The bylaws for an organization should always have provisions around the conditions for being a director to ensure that you're getting the people that you need on that board. They should always have provisions around etiquette of directors, rules for what goes on in a meeting. And unfortunately, you know, if you need to remove a director, there should be some things around that. Um, Because, again, there needs to be some accountability process. And having that process embedded in the foundational documents of the organization is really important if you need to make that tough decision. Beyond that, and more at the ongoing governance level, Boards should really consider having policies around certain processes that they have. So whether that's the onboarding of directors and having information that can be handed to directors to equip them with everything they need to know, or it may be uh, strategic recruitment. So taking a look at the skills of the board and determining what these are the areas we have, here's the other areas that we need to fill, and, and, and doing things that way. So... I think a big portion of that can be found in director training. And, you know, for boards that we've talked with, I can't reiterate enough how important it is to have at least, you know, whether it's a course or a workshop or a read of some really good good resources that are out there, having some understanding of how boards work, how other boards have approached things is really, really useful for directors, especially if they're in their first time uh, in a governance position. Um, I guess either of you can speak to to what kind of incentives might a board want to put in place, whether that's actual compensation or are there other incentives that might um, spur people to want to be involved in a board? Mm-hmm. So compensating a board is always a really cool idea, I feel. A lot of boards and a lot of co-ops and organizations really can't afford that. But one area where you see really cool things happen is with housing co-ops. And I don't live in a housing co-op, but I do live in a condo. And I participate on the board largely because the decisions that that board makes affects my everyday life and how I live at home. So there's really a high motivation to get involved in those sorts of boards because you want to say and in the things that benefit your everyday life. Um, some cooperatives, housing cooperatives that I've talked to, have really neat incentives. So for individuals that are willing to perform maintenance tasks or participate on a a committee, or even serve on the board, they offer incentives such as um, decreases in your rent. So they can't necessarily pay the individual, but they can provide a really good incentive that is somewhat monetary. Um, So those are really great to see. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's a great tangible example of an incentive, but also I think the, the recruitment process should include some discussion or expression uh, to the potential board member around the benefits that will accrue to them by virtue of their participation. So the fact that they um, can shape this organization and leave their imprint on it and you know have that live on is something maybe that uh, boards don't do a great job of uh, expressing to potential board members. And I think that just being able to talk about you're being tapped because 
um, we see the following, you know, resources that are in you and this amazing skill set and doing a little bit more of that, but doing it very thoughtfully um, and authentically is, you know, it's an incentive that doesn't cost much besides an actual thoughtful expression of why they're being approached. Um, and in some volunteer training that I've done, Audra, just building off of that, it, it can often be just about how you frame what the outcomes are of your participation. So I know someone gave the example of, say there was um, a shelter that needed someone to volunteer to do kind of menial tasks like emptying the garbage and, and cleaning the bathrooms and, and, and no volunteers really wanted to, to sign up for that particular uh, job until they reframed it as your position is making making the atmosphere or the facility welcoming to people who need it. Um, and then suddenly it seemed like a more appealing thing to come and help out with those little tasks because you, you focused on what the ultimate outcome for the, the clients or the participants was. And so maybe boards can also take keep that in mind when they're recruiting, focusing more on what is the ultimate outcome of your participation rather than maybe each of the little um, kind of less appealing tasks that they have to do along the way. Because mm-hmm. many of us aren't completely motivated by the bottom dollar and... and uh income and that kind of thing so it's being able to like you say says to to you know sell it or at least be able to um, understand uh, what that contribution looks like and the value of it and to incentivize it and speak of it in that language that's not easy to do right okay um that's maybe a good place to wrap up on our next episode we're going to talk about dealing with conflict on a board 